You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our spiritual journey to God. Hello and welcome to an episode on Pinocchio. Just kidding. Yes, it does not seem right to begin any episode on The Lion King without including Lebo M's iconic opening call, uh, which random trivia I'm told in Zulu means, here comes a lion, daddy. Interesting. I'm very excited about exploring The Lion King because this story is especially dear to me. I think I'm only starting to be able to articulate why, but I do know that since it lodged itself in my imagination as a seven-year-old, it has since nourished my Christian imagination till this present day. And even though it was released more than 25 years ago, I know that Disney's The Lion King is actually still as popular today as it was back in 1994, I think it was when it was released, 1994. In 2017, it was voted on Rancor as the greatest feature animation ever made. While on IMDb, audience polls found The Lion King the crowning glory of the Disney Renaissance era, beating worthy contenders like Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas and Aladdin. But here's the question. What is the secret of its appeal? Why is the film so charming? Sure, it features an Academy Award-winning soundtrack and majestic animation and a host of memorable characters, but what is it about the film that makes it such a classic? I'm convinced the answer lies in its storyline, and more specifically, how the storyline resonates with the deepest caverns of a secular post-Christian culture. Ready to discover more? It is time. Let's begin by recapping the story in brief. At the start of the movie, Prince Simba is a young, playful and idealistic lion cub. He is the son and rightful heir to King Mufasa, the current Lion King of the Pride Lands. However, through the evil plotting of Uncle Scar, who desperately wants to be king even though Simba is next in line, Mufasa is tragically murdered in a wildebeest stampede. What's worse is that Scar makes Simba believe he was responsible for the killing of his father and convinces him to run, run away and never return. As the young traumatised Simba flees the only home he's ever known, Scar sends a pack of his hyena coonies after him, hoping to end the royal line once and for all. Simba manages to escape them, however, and treks on alone and dejected into the wilderness of the savannah. Exhausted, he is by chance found by the fun and friendly duo of Pumbaa, a warthog, and Timon, a meerkat. After reviving him, they introduce him to a new philosophy of life, one that would set him free from worry and responsibility and allow him to forget the ghosts of his past. It is the life of Hakuna Matata, which means no worries. 
and it could be enjoyed in a beautiful and lush oasis outside the Pride Lands. And so, even though an exile, Simba matures into adulthood in a pseudo paradise with his new friends. And except for a few starry nights where he is suddenly reminded of his father and his previous life, all thought of Simba's former identity is forgotten. Okay, a brief pause to the story here. Can you already see some great parallels between the Lion King and the Judeo Christian narrative? Oscar Wilde's comment that everyone is born a king, but most die in exile certainly rings true of a human race who have grown up too attached to life outside of Eden. Like Simba, when we settle for the pseudo paradise Hakuna Matata of this world, we too can forget the kingdom, capital K kingdom, of our birthright. But what does Hakuna Matata look like to you and I today? It might be the endless pursuit of St. Thomas Aquinas' four idols of power, wealth, honour, or pleasure. Hakuna Matata might be the shunning of responsibility that is rightfully ours to take up. It might even be staying silent and passive before the face of evil. Whatever it is, Hakuna Matata makes us like Simba, forgetting our former dignity of being sons and daughters of the Most High. In our self-constructed paradises, we drown out the stirring whisper of God within and listen to the whispers of the enemy instead. He highlights our scars and convinces us to run, run away and never return. After all, we too are also guilty of murdering the King of Kings, are we not? Every sin is a hammer blow to Christ crucified, we are told. We are surely not welcome back into his pride lands. Better to stay in exile where it's comfortable and nothing is demanded of us. Better to stay in exile where we can remain in harmony with the world around us. And yet, despite all of the enemy's conspiracies just mentioned, something within our soul still remembers a life before Hakuna Matata. Our souls are eternal, after all. It has a long memory. And while our flesh can be numbed for some time by the many distractions and pleasures of the world, our souls cry out for something deeper, something more permanent, a home we had forgotten we had lost. It is the cry of royalty in exile, and only by taking up our rightful place in the kingdom of God, in this life and the next, will our souls ever find rest. Let's now continue our story. So Simba pretty much grows up from a lion cub into a young adult while in this paradise. One day, out of the blue, his bliss is violently interrupted with the sudden appearance of his childhood friend, Nala. After an exchange of surprise and joy, she reports that Uncle Scar had assumed the position of King of Pride Rock, and as king, unleashed such a reign of tyranny upon the Pride Lands that there was no food and water left. Nala then tries to convince Simba to return home and resume his rightful responsibilities as king. But Simba refuses, still believing he was responsible for his father's death. Ashamed, he shrugs off Nala and his former identity. Then, one starry night, an annoying baboon named Rafiki appears out of the blue also and hints that Mufasa was not dead and that he would show him to Simba. Astonished, Simba follows Rafiki through a thick jungle of banished memories, 
that's my interpretation anyway, to arrive at a pool of still water. There, in arguably one of the most profound scenes in Disney history, Simba sees in the water's reflection an image of his father, Mufasa. You see, he lives in you, says Rafiki. Then the heavens part, and the spirit of Mufasa magically appears in the sky above. The actual dialogue that takes place in the original animated version runs as follows. Mufasa says, Simba, you have forgotten me. No, how could I? replies Simba. You have forgotten who you are, and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back, says Simba. I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are, says Mufasa. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. Remember. The spirit of Mufasa then dissipates and Simba is left alone once more under the starry night. Though Rafiki was technically still with him with a few more lessons to teach. But Simba is a changed lion now. Having heard his father's voice and having had his identity affirmed by the one he loves most, Simba's life is charged with a new vigour. Like the prodigal son coming to his senses, he resolves at that moment to return home to the Pride Lands and to claim what was always his. Okay, another brief pause to the story here. Often I get people asking me, how do I know God's will for my life? Or, given the choice between A and B, what does God want me to do? Now, these are important questions to ask. However, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure that they are the most important questions to ask, at least not from God's perspective. Let me explain what I mean. In the story, Simba's vocation, or um, inverted commas, what he does with his life, does not emerge from his own reasoning. Simba didn't sit around wondering what he was going to do with his life. Rather, his vocation flowed from his identity. It was important that Simba could first come to terms with the who am I question before he could come to terms with the what am I going to do question. This is just what happens during the scene. When the spirit of Mufasa appears to him, Simba's who am I question gets answered by his father. Remember who you are. You are my son, the one true king. Remember who you are. Observe, Mufasa does not mention anything about Simba's vocation, only about his identity. Yet, having been reminded about his identity, Simba knew then what he must do, in his case, to return to the Pride Land to confront Uncle Scar and to reclaim the kingdom. Vocation follows identity for Simba, and so it is for the Christian life. What God wants us to do always first flows from our identity as his beloved sons and daughters. Until our relationship with our God is one of a child to their father, something about the what does God want me to do question will always be a little bit misplaced. See, Simba's dramatic conversion was only able to happen because he trusted his father. He knew that despite his running away, his father still loved him. Was he that night still ashamed and scared and maybe a bit confused? Probably. But because he trusted his father with all his heart, because he was in right relationship with him, 
he was willing to receive the call that was placed on his life. Jesus, of course, is the biblical exemplar of everything I've just said. Have you ever noticed that this Mufasa apparition scene looks suspiciously like the baptism of Jesus? In both scenes, the Father's presence is made manifest, thundering in the heavens. In both scenes, it takes place above a significant body of water. In both scenes, the Son's truest identities are affirmed by the Heavenly Father. And in both scenes, the sons are commissioned to reclaim the kingdom home that was rightfully theirs. Wow. And if Jesus' own vocation flowed out of his knowing that he was a beloved son of the Father, how much more would that same truth apply to you and I today? Dear friends, ask your Heavenly Father today, Who am I? And who have you created me to be? And then let the rest take care of itself. Whether we are conscious of it or not, I believe this scene in particular stirs our post-Christian culture. For we have today drifted quite far from this Christian understanding of identity and vocation. Because we no longer possess the knowledge of a loving Father who created us, we instead tie ourselves in knots trying to discover our own identity, to forge our own identity from scratch, desperate to be both uniquely authentic and yet fit in with everybody else. Sadly, we today have it all backwards, believing that our identity flows from our vocation and that our self-worth is tied to what we do. We forget that our identity and worth are already given to us and that our loving Father cares more about our decisions than even we do ourselves. Perhaps it is for this reason that the Lion King stirs us and moves us and reverberates in the deepest empty caverns of our culture. For the tender echo of Mufasa's remember is not just an invitation for Simba, but an invitation for our culture to remember. We who have forgotten who we really are and the glory that awaits us. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always also open to your feedback and ideas too, so feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. Cheers! In this final section, I want to share a particular observation about the lead-up to the Spirit of Mufasa scene one that also contains great spiritual truth. Note that the journey of Simba's conversion from runaway lion cub to king of pride rock wasn't necessarily a smooth one. Rather, each time he was reminded to reclaim his royal identity, Simba resisted. I can think of at least four times in the movie when this sort of divine intervention occurs and was turned down. The first intervention happens one evening during the conversation about stars with Timba and Pumbaa. Recalling Mufasa's own explanation of the stars as a cub, Simba is suddenly filled with shame and slinks off to avoid further engagement. The second intervention is when Nala shows up. Upon her exhortation to man up and take up his responsibility, he rebukes her and denies that he has it within himself to face his past. 
The third intervention is when Rafiki, the baboon, shows up singing, before teasing him with the thought that Mufasa is still alive. Simba actually shrugs him off like an annoying insect and walks off. Then, of course, the fourth and final intervention of all was the spirit of Mufasa himself. But even with the heavens themselves opening, Simba initially resists. How can I go back? He says, I'm not who I used to be. But of course, Grace wins out this time, however, and Simba assents to Mufasa's bestowal of his own son's identity. Okay, so why am I telling you all this? Because while the thought that we are all sons and daughters of God is a sweet theological idea, the lived reality is that more often than not, we are in open rebellion to this truth. Sure, the holy and converted parts of us yearns for an identity in Christ, but the fallen, compromised parts of us cries out for independence apart from Christ and his kingdom. And so, when the grace of God first breaks into our quasi-paradises, it can actually feel like an unwelcome invasion. The first rule of St. Ignatius's timeless discernment of spirits articulates that when we are caught up in a lifestyle of sin, the working of the good spirit Holy Spirit feels like the enemy, while the working of the bad spirit, our real enemy, makes us feel quite accommodating. If you want an illustration of this from the Lion King, observe Simba's annoyance at Nala when she shows up and exposes his illusion of paradise as a sham. It's like, ah, good to see you,、uh, but don't ask any questions, please. And can you feel the love tonight? But please get lost after that. <laughs> That's so us. But the good news is that God doesn't give up on us. Whether it takes four attempts or 40 attempts to snap us out of our illusion of paradise, we can be sure that every yes, no matter how small we say to God, is also a yes to the real paradise. And that is truly good news to base our lives upon. And so I might have to leave it here at this point, though there are many more explorations of the Lion King in later episodes to come. The practical pilgrim exercise I have for you today is as follows Prayerfully and slowly read the baptism of Jesus scene in Mark chapter 1, and then consider re watching the spirit of Mufasa scene in The Lion King. After this, you may want to do a St. Catherine of Siena. And ask God the two most important questions any person can ask. And these are Who are you, Lord? and Who am I? Invite the Holy Spirit to descend upon you anew like a dove, and permit His presence to guide you and direct you for the rest of your day and the rest of your life. But we've got to start somewhere, hey? <laughs> right. Signing out now, and until next time, dear pilgrim, journey forth, take care, and 